Can y'all hear me in the back? Okay, awesome. Hello everyone, welcome to the Museum of Children's Art. I appreciate you all using our space because our space is for everyone. Um, we offer arts education to youth. Um, some of our programming is offsite in our public schools as well as the libraries, but we also have a full service program here on site. Um, we do event rentals, which is the reason why you're all able to have this space today. Thanks to Raina choosing us. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that you are welcome and that our, our space is a safe space for everyone. All right, thank you, Nina. Okay, so as everybody knows, everybody in here is pretty close to me. I am super excited about today because the two years that I have been in my grad school program has built up to this event. Um, I decided to do a convention because I felt like there wasn't enough, um, there weren't enough events that allowed all of us, people that look like us, to come together and just talk about our ideas, talk about how to work through our issues, and more importantly, um, how we engage with digital and social media. Um, and I would like to thank my special helpers here today Give them a round of applause. <clears throat> Don't hide, Tanasha. Um, they did a lot uh, for today. They helped us stuff the backpacks and also for the giveaways, and also they set up breakfast and uh, put together the pamphlets. And this was just um, really important to me to have. Sorry, I'm on. just for young people to see how important it is for us to come together and share resources and um, really just uh, support each other. And I, I just really appreciate you guys for com coming today. Y'all know I'm a weenie, sorry. <laughs> okay, good, got the tears out early. Okay. Whew. Okay. Uh, yes, I brought a big box for myself. <laughs> I don't know where I put it. Okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, Whew. all right, now we got that out the way. Okay, so yes, today um, has really just been um, kind of a culmination of all the things that I really care about and I love throughout my life, so I really appreciate you guys for being here. So thank you, Nina, also for inviting us and being so welcoming and allowing me to bleed you of all your resources <laughs> and um, just really being here to um, support. I know we're in a cohort together, but you guys are, are really like a family, so I really appreciate that. Whew, okay. So this event is really supposed to be about how important it is for um, people of color, especially young people, and how they engage in the digital space. So for the past two years, um, in a master's program, you choose, um, in a master's program, you have to choose a focus. They really t tell you to think about the things that you're passionate about and uh, where you would like to impact communication research in the future. And kind of just after really looking at myself, looking at the things that I'm, I'm particularly interested in, I realized that I really like digital and social media, like the ways that people engage with it. And I remember just even, my mom could vouch for me, we always bounce ideas off each other. I said, there needs to be more studies about how people create their lives online. I was like, there's not enough research about how um, someone that you know in reality could be a lot different than their digital identities. And so that's kind of how I came up with this research project is to really just figure out the different ways that we all engage with social media and how it changes us as a person in reality, not just, um, not just in the digital space. So um, my main focus was digital and social media as a critical aspect of youth success. And by success, what I meant by success was their lives so meaning their, their life, like it could actually have an effect on if they live or they die. Um, their freedom, so I work in a juvenile hall facility and they're far too often, a lot of my students that I work with, they, um, they violate their probation, meaning they are sent back to the juvenile hall because of things that they posted online or because of 
um, things that were found in their phone by their probation officers or a police officer, and just really getting uh, juvenile offenders to understand the collateral consequences. And just to put it plainly, I tell them like, you're not a normal kid anymore. Like you, 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 you don't have um, the luxury of making those mistakes that you know normal teenagers make because the consequences for you um, are are much more severe. Um, and also um, on a you know just a more simplistic level just being able to find a job or being able to be recruited for college because a lot of jobs and colleges now will Google you just to see um, what type of person you are. They wanna, not only will they look at your resume and your application, but they wanna see will you fit in with the culture of their organization or will you fit in with the culture of uh, their institution. So that was pretty much what I chose to study for the past two years and um, with that, so now I'm kind of going into um, the, the digital media internet section of today's program. I'll just keep it rolling. Um, I created a digital and social media literacy educator resource guide. So I pulled it up here, it's a little uh, small, but I'll just go through it just to explain um, my thought process in creating it and, and currently how I use it. So I'll talk about how I use it a little bit later. So it's a digital and social media educator resource guide that I created in uh, Dr. Nolan Higdon's teaching communications class. So in that class, he taught us how to be teachers, basically. So uh, we had to, we got to choose it, the, our project at the end, and I chose to create um, this curriculum. So I intended for this curriculum to be used in alternative settings. Like I totally agree that all students need critical media literacy, but my focus were students who had barriers. So whether that was uh, being a juvenile offender, maybe uh, being affected by mass incarceration, meaning somebody that you love or somebody that you care about has been affected by mass incarceration. Also community violence, which you, affects us all right now. And um, I have some of those definitions if you kind of want to read up on it a little bit more in your in your programs, but in a nutshell, community violence is how the feeling that we have basically sitting at the edge of our seats, not knowing if we will be harmed by whatever is happening in the world. Um, and a lot of, not only young people, but adults still suffer from the remnants of violence. And as a community, um, it's basically dismantling our communities. So that's another reason why today is important because regardless of what everybody had going on, you know, the losses in our, in our lives, you know, the struggles, everybody came together and is sitting in a seat here, which meant that you are interested in building this community. So with the digital and social media literacy curriculum, um, I built it, like I said, in Dr. Nolan Hig Higdon's class and I chose to use this curriculum in the juvenile halls uh, with my students. So the students that I teach are graduates, so they have to have been uh, a graduate, so usually 18, 19 years old. And um, typically they are um, what we call in the committing units, and a committing unit means that you committed a crime that the judge deems is severe enough that you have to um, work through a program. So typically the programs are between six months and sadly sometimes there's people there for up to two years. Okay. So in the, in the curriculum, I start off with an introduction where I basically go over what I just said, why I feel like this uh, type of um, curriculum is important, which is that to, far too many people of color, especially young boys of color, primarily black and Latino, are um, being um, basically locked up at an at a astronomical rate compared to others. And how their crimes are now not only like physical crimes like robberies or, um, or batteries and assault, now they're in the digital space. So they're actually being locked up for things that have happened online. Uh, because of the fear of the possibility of those spilling out into reality. And sadly, sometimes those do spill out in, into reality. So really just wanted to focus on their critical thinking 
before you post things or what is causing you to want to post these things and talking through it to help them understand that, you know, we're in a time where you are the target, you are being digitally surveilled, so you have to proceed with caution. And if something, like I said, you're not a normal teenager anymore, the things that, that other teenagers can say online, um, the other things that other teenagers can do online, you cannot do because of the consequences for you. As an example, I always give the smoking weed. That's the easiest example. So I'm sure everybody has seen, logged on, irritating, Snapchat, and you see people listening to music and smoking weed. It's kind of like the, that's like one of the themes of, of Snapchat. So whereas a normal 16, 17, 18 year old can log on, smoke weed, uh, feel like they're being cool or whatever, you know, the day passes, maybe mom gets mad, but that's about it. So for one of my students who decides to log on to Snapchat, smoke some weed, they're probably gonna be seeing me locked up again the next day uh, because of probation violations. So they will, be, they will be drug tested and their violation will cause them to come back to jail. So that's, that, those are the little things I really try to get them to understand um, as we're going through this, this um, curriculum. Um, and I always reiterate where I do believe that all students need critical media literacy. I geared this towards um, alternative education. So students who have been through um, serious barriers. So some of the content in a, in a traditional high school would be a little risque, but um, our students have been through m uh, much more. So they need kind of like that, that real talk um, as I'm teaching them this type of material. So the first unit, so I broke it up into five units. So I teach a five-week class. So the first um, unit, we talk about the internet. How do you access information on the internet and how to spot misinformation, which is basically fake news. So each class is 90 minutes long, so we call them blocks. So it's a 90-minute block. We go through one unit um, through each block, so that's five weeks, and then typically I'll get a new crew that comes in. So the way that I separated it is we have our learning objectives and I also give recommended um, material for the instructors. So recommended readings, recommended videos, and also recommended activities. I try to also add a few keywords that they focus on when they are teaching the material. And then also provide a basic lesson plan. So all of the links are hyperlinked here. So you, um, if you are an educator, you don't have to print it. You can leave the material in the cloud and access it from anywhere. It's available, it's shared with anyone. It's available for anyone. So if you are interested in looking through it, just contact me and I can forward it to you as well. So the second unit fo focuses on uh, your digital footprint. So we talk about um, the remnants that you leave behind with things that you post online. So what is your digital footprint? How does your footprint affect your future opportunities? And what does your footprint say about you? So really just having them reflect on the things that they've posted um, and understanding how those things could be problematic and what happens to all the stuff that you, at the, that you post. So I'm in a very unique space where I'm 30 years old and I have a memory before the internet. So I remember getting my first computer. I remember logging on to AOL, waiting and being mad when people called because they interrupted my dial-up. So I, I have that memory. But for a lot of young people that are here today, that, that the internet is just like water. It has always been there. So there was never really um, a critical kind of education of how students should be engaging with the internet. And the other thing that is, uh, is really kind of problematic for us as well is that a lot of parents don't also don't know how to explain this to their students. So we can explain to our kids how to turn on the water faucet, but how do we explain to them uh, the things that they should and should not say online and how that can affect them in the future? You know, we already have a hard enough time having students think about tomorrow. So telling them to think about five years down the line uh, seems kind of impossible for young people sometimes. Yeah. So the third unit is about um, what social media is, how to use social media, and um, why do you use social media? So I try to 
this is basically a discussion. I really modeled it after the, um, the college courses that I have taken. Uh, I don't try to make it to where I'm just preaching to them like an auntie, telling them what they should and shouldn't do, but really getting them to think, to kind of create those answers on their own. So after I show them things, I show them different articles of the police surveilling young people. I show them the different technologies that will show um, um, students, you know, acting up online or recklessly posting. Then they kind of start to think for themselves, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And that's really the effect that I want. You know, everybody knows that, that is a parent in here. I'm not a parent. Is that it always sounds different coming from somebody else. So whereas we say the same things over and over, sometimes just a different perspective will help it get through um, to, to us more. Okay, the fourth unit. The fourth unit is what is social media literacy and why is it important? and is social media helping or hurting you? So once again, this is one of those um, critical thinking type of activities where uh, I'm showing them why it's important and asking them to kind of come up with their own conclusions on how um, they, their social, what their social media habits are. I also try to include things that are local. So that could get a little touchy. So in my in introduction, I also state that it's important that the person who is teaching this is kind of ingrained in the community and is culturally relevant because it can go left really quick. Um, if you're showing some of the material, like I said, it's a little risque, but at the same time, sadly, some of my students have been through really mature situations um, and had to grow up fast. So it's important to meet them where they are and don't try to be so PC all the time because um, they won't pay attention. Yeah. So um, with that being said, I do show them things that if someone was not ingrained in the community or w did not have the cultural context or cultural background, that it, it could be terrible. So as an example, um, I use uh, comedy as well. So I use a lot of Key and Peele's uh, skits. And uh, there are a couple skits where, you know, some administrators walk by and they're like, what the hell is you doing in there? You know, and I have to kind of explain um, the context behind it and the discussion that I plan to have once the skit is over and then they understand my point of view. But um, so just simple things like that, just really being able to have the background before you're actually going in to, to teach. And then the last unit is, um, so what is social media etiquette, netiquette? Um, what are ways you can use social media for good? So in the beginning, you know, I got them all stressed out, thinking about all the stuff they've posted, why they was in junior high, all, you know, how they forgot their Facebook password. And so now all, that, all those pictures are stuck on there. So uh, I always try to end in a good note, um, showing them like there are ways to take this stuff down and I can help you. Like we can email Facebook together and tell them, please take these pictures down or I lost my password. Same thing with Twitter and Snapchat. Um, I also talk about how you can use, uh, how we use social media for social justice issues. Um, and like I said, I use a lot of risque content. And one of my favorites that I like to pull up because it really gets them engaged is the Mozzie Kick the Cup Challenge. So does anybody know who Mozzie is? Okay, the rapper. Do you guys remember the Kick the Cup Challenge? Okay, so that was probably one of my favorite social media, <laughs> social media activist moments is because it was someone who the students really admired um, he is definitely a, a pillar in the rap community and he used his platform um, for good, basically trying to get young people and others to realize that, um, you know, that promethazine pro, pro with codeine is killing us. So that was, um, every time I play that, they, they be all into it. So I, I always play that. But like I said, when the administrators walk by and they see somebody pouring out codeine with promethazine, they're like, Raina, what the hell are you doing in there? So I have to give them context as well. Um, so that's pretty much it. Come on, come on, yeah. <laughs> so that's um, the five-week the five-week breakdown, but I also have it broken down into blocks. So as you can see, there is a whole lot of um, there are a whole lot of resources and material and links 
connected to the curriculum. So it really gives the educator, so I also create like just a resource list on the back where I have all the videos, the readings, and the activities listed and hyperlinked so that um, it actually gives the instructor freedom to kind of create their own, um, their own coursework, but with just my help of what I feel will really help the students be engaged. So something that I'm extremely proud of is, like I said, I have done five cohorts at the juvenile hall of this social media literacy. And so far, the students have really responded to it. Um, a lot of the information um, they felt was new to them. So that was exciting. And they've also given me lots of suggestions on how to make it better. So I always treat my classes like this is our class. So how are we going to make it better for the next group? Um, and uh, something else that is really cool is that um, Professor Colleen from Marin has reached out to me and I sent her this. So she will be using the resource guide at San Quinn for um, their Project LA group. So they have a group of young of men who will be um, being released back into LA. And she will be using my resource guide at San Quinn to uh, get those men ready. Any questions about the resource guide? No? Yes. Um, yes, it's, it's public. So it's, I have it on, uh, on Google Drive, but I can send you the link, but it is public, so anybody can, can share it. Yes. Yes, that is my goal. That is my goal. And that, Oh, thank you. Okay. Yes. Mm Totally agree. Thank you. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Yes, there is, and I teach that class as well. <laughs> so I teach, uh, I also teach, so this is my passion, obviously, um, because I, far too long, uh, I've seen a lot of students kind of crash and burn just from the stuff that they post online. And like I said, my voice, like Dr. Bayham also said, sounds like my mama. So when, when I start talking to them, I'm sure I sound like their mom. So um, sometimes, I, you know, like I said, I use a lot of risque videos to kind of get through to them. But I also, at the juvenile facilities, only for the committed units, so for the students who are there for extended stays, like I said, anywhere from six months to two years, I teach a college and career curriculum. And that one is actually three months long. So I teach that one for 12 weeks, uh, 90 minutes a week for um, two sets of boys units and um, a young ladies unit as well. And in that class, we talk about um, college careers. We do resumes, we do mock interviews, we do um, assessments to figure out um, what you're interested in. And so I have two, sorry, I'm going to put y'all on the spot. So I have two young ladies here today that I um, actually went through some of that material with. And if you guys had a comment or, or suggestion about how that went. Yeah.
Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. So that one is a little bit more robust. Um, the college and career curriculum, like I said, is three months long. So we do have much uh, more time to kind of flush out. Um, figuring out who you are so in the first three weeks we do a lot of like self-discovery so like what are you interested in like I'm not here to tell you what you should do but you tell me what you're gonna do um, and that's kind of what we did like I'm I don't have the answer sway so tell me what tell me what you want help with and we also talk about how success is defined differently for everybody so we sit there and we kind of throw out what does success mean to us and of course everyone's answers are completely different and I say yes to everybody yes 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 that is right yes 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 so now we're going to figure out how I can help you be successful in your definition of success because your definition of success is completely different from mine yeah so thank you yes we do have that okay in grad school you pick your your passion or you pick your focus and then you also have to pick a perspective which we call theories. So you have to pick a theory that you're gonna apply to the work that you're doing. Um, so I'm just gonna speak on it quickly, I don't want everybody to fall asleep. So the theory that I chose was um, social identity theory. So the perspective from a, a very smart person who came up with all these ideas and said, um, this is, that said, people in groups tend to act like the other people in their groups. And the issues with that is that we start to create groupthink. Um, we put ourselves in these very narrow silos where the same ideas are just being echoed back to us. We're not allowing in any variety of new ideas. And for me, that's extremely problematic. So I grew up, thanks to my mom, try everything. Like, kick it with everybody. Like, if you don't like it, spit it out. Well, she didn't say that, she said swallow it. But. But, but she always encouraged us to have variety. Like, don't be one-dimensional. Um, and I feel like social media is helping to create very one-dimensional people. Because the, the people that are on our social media reflect the people that are in our reality. And so we're thinking we're logging on and we're getting these new, fresh ideas and, you know, everything, you know, we're being introduced to news, we're being introduced to entertainment, and it's all new, when in reality, it's the same stuff just coming back to us in circles. Coming back to us, coming back to us. And um, after a while, I started to get really annoyed and wanted to figure out, like, how the, hell is, how the hell does this keep happening? Like, what is this? And that's when I learned about computer algorithms. Um, and I'll talk about that briefly as well. So social identity theory is the, is the lens or the focus that um, I chose for this, and the idea was that I was going to bring very diverse people of color together, as you can look around and see, yeah, very diverse. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so very diverse, hey, it's my little brother. Um, so very diverse people of color together that have very different ideas and very different ways of thinking, and for us to create a community so that you feel like you have someone else to bounce ideas off of to create different perspectives. And that, in my opinion, will help to break that groupthink. That'll help uh, keep your mind sharp and help to keep challenging you to, um, to think bigger, to think outside of your comfort zone, and to invite people into your space that normally wouldn't be there. Um, so that's what I was really hoping would happen with this event, is that we're all in each other's personal space, real close real intimate, we're gonna be talking to each other, getting to know each other, and that's somebody new to add um, to um, your, your, your social network or your actual personal network that can help you grow as a person as well. So in my, okay, I got a couple more minutes. So yeah, in my research, what I figured out is, so one of my first research papers, I looked, I wanted to know why my students specifically uh, would post recklessly online when they know that if their PO sees it, that they would be arrested. So that was just, I couldn't understand it for the death of me. It's like, you know if you post this picture, you're going to jail, yet you do it in the first place. Does anybody have any ideas of, of what some of my students said, like why they post it? Like, I, I have blunt conversations with them just like this. Like, like you knew your ass was going to come back here, but you posted it anyway. Like, what made you do that? Exactly. It's like you got to flex for the gram. 
You know, if you don't post it, it didn't happen. You know, and something else they would tell me is, my PO ain't following me. And I would say, yes, your PO is following you. No, he not. No, he not. I said, I'm telling you your PO is following you because your PO told me he was following you. <laughs> but they still didn't believe me. They didn't believe it, which was, which was like I said, it was, I, could, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And so we would talk about the ways, like, well, how did they find me? Like, how did they find me? I was like, well, they could Google reverse search your image. Well, no, they would say, oh, my name is different on there. My name is different. And he don't have this phone number. I said, well, um, technology has, you know, is moving and evolving so quickly. I was like, have you heard of Google reverse search? And they're like, what's that? I was like, what about, have you seen catfish? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, catfish. You know how they take the photo and they do a Google reverse image search. Like, there's a whole department um, in probation that that's their whole job. They just sit at a desk and they look at students' social medias, you know, and they still didn't believe me. Like I said, I sound like auntie talking. Um, also, um, I explained to them that, you know, maybe they weren't looking for you, but the way that social media works with our algorithms, you were a suggested user. Like, oh, friends you may know. And they're like, oh, hey. Oh, hey. Yeah, I know this guy. Let me add them. Um, so I, I just trying to try to go through kind of like the, the, the practical things with students and really try to speak to them and, like I said, really meet them where they are. A lot of young people go through things that are unimaginable to us. Like, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life. So um, just being available and offering resources that I feel can help lead to their success is, like, extremely important to me. So in my research, some of the things I noticed why they were um, posting recklessly. So in my research project, I followed um, five young people. So they weren't all juvenile justice involved, but they were um, either had relatives or friends. They were somehow connected to mass incarceration. So I will follow them just, and I um, kind of what we call coded why they, the types of posts that they posted and why they posted them. So does anybody have idea, like what were the common themes of young people ages 24 and under, what do they post online? Yes. Money, yes, the money fan is infamous. What else? Guns, yes, guns. What else? Weed, drugs. So codeine is a big one now, and that was pretty scary to me. I didn't realize, like, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, there is an addiction problem, the codeine with promethazine, but that was like uh, a shocking um, revelation that so many young people are sipping on pro, uh, promethazine with codeine. That was, it was like really scary to the point where I feel like that is uh, an epidemic and a lot of people are taking, taking that on, especially a lot of people in the music industry because they feel it was their responsibility since they were the ones who really promoted it. And that's something that, um, that I'm happy to see is that they're trying to kind of right their wrongs with uh, letting young people know that that shit ain't cool. Like, we, you guys are dying um, from sipping on that stuff. But yes, that, sorry, on a tangent. But yes, what, it, what, it, what else do you think? So we got drugs, money, fans, guns. Huh? You know. No? Okay, something else that tripped me out, I thought it was hilarious, that they always posted themselves in a, in a car, in a front seat of a car, but it's usually not their car. So it's like straight up flexing for the gram. So um, yeah, a lot, so those were the basic, the basic themes that I, was, that I, would, I would see. And I, some of the, the kind of ideas that I talked about was materialism, like how we are such a materialistic society that a lot of people feel left out if they're not posting those things. Um, also, the amount of time that they have, like, why, like, why aren't you working? You know, they don't have jobs. You know, why aren't, why aren't you taking a class or two at a community college? Why aren't you in an apprenticeship? You know, why aren't you babysitting? Like, why do you have so much idle time? That was, that was huge, it was the free time, is they were bored. So, um, that was a huge issue. Uh, also, um, parents, the parents don't understand how to use this stuff. So everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe they posted that online. Where they mama at? 
where their mom's not on Snapchat. Their mom's not on Instagram. You know, their mom doesn't, they don't know how to use that. Or even if their parents are on those things, they create multiple accounts. So it's like you got your little PG account so your mama and your auntie can see, but then on your other account, you know, you're going dumb. You feel me? <laughs> so, so, uh, and, and so I think it's, yeah, really unfair for people to, you know, br blame the families and the communities when, you know, young people are much more savvier than we are when it comes to digital media and social media. So that's why it's really important that we all come together. And if we see these things, we call it out. Like, I get called out all the time. Huh, Mom? Yeah. <laughs> she like, Raina. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's the importance of this type of community is that we all have each other's back. We all want each other to succeed. Everybody slips up. We all recklessly post from time to time. You know, we've all put out that drunk tweet, you know, and tried to hurry up and go back and delete it. But it already got retweeted and, and screenshotted and all that type of stuff. Um, but um, yes, so that's why these type of events are extremely important, just so we could all see each other, get to know each other, and know that uh, we all have each other's best interests at heart. So what I, what I actually measured was I separated it into um, photos and, and um, what do you call them when you, when you type it? Captions, the caption. So um, I took the photos and I basically charted what was happening in the photos. So like I said, we kind of already went over the themes of all the photos. It was usually money fans, guns, drugs, and sitting in somebody else's car flexing. That was the main, the main themes. And then also the, the captions for the most part um, didn't always reflect what was actually happening in the photo. So sometimes the, the captions were either uh, lyrics from songs, you know, you always want to post the newest, tightest lyric so that everybody know you in the in crowd, you know. Um, and then also, um, a lot of people, well, what we, uh, well, what I call like taunting. So a lot of people would basically talk shit about other people, like subliminal messages. So maybe they were having some type of feud. Usually I didn't know about it, but you, you could tell that, huh, this, this is extra. So this must be to someone. Um, so that also would happen. And, um, what else did I, did I follow? Um, some of the different hashtags, like I will follow some of the different half, uh, the hashtags that they would post. And sometimes they will post some really interesting hashtags. For example, probably the, the most interesting one I seen was, uh, pound sign taking penitentiary chances. <laughs> so, so that was very interesting. Is like, so um, they already knew that they were um, they were engaging in something that could potentially uh, get them locked up. But it's the clout, it's the the flexing that w made them want to post it. So, like a, one of my students said, if if you don't post it, it didn't happen. So that that's kind of like their mentality. Any other questions? It's their identity. It's it's the it's what they feel makes them whole. Like I said, I'm lucky enough to where I grew up before the internet, so I've been able to create my own you know self-esteem based on people around me and my community, you know, and the things that I engage with, you know, outside of the digital space. But now it seems like as time progresses, that a lot of young people that is where they build their identity. That is what makes them them. Those comments and those likes is what gives them self-esteem. Like if you, and one of my kids said, I posted a picture and it got 30 likes, so I had to take it down and I'm gonna post it again in the morning. Cause everybody must be asleep. They didn't see this outfit. Yeah, yeah, yes, mm-hmm, yes. Yes, luckily, because like I said, I'm, I don't sugarcoat stuff. You know me enough to know I'm not a sugarcoater. So I kind of get, I get right to it. I, I'm going to see if I can show you a couple videos now. I got my phone. Yes. I'll show you a couple videos of like the things that I actually show them. So I show them 
you know, news clippings of students getting arrested because of stuff they posted online. I show them, you know, uh, courtroom proceedings of someone being sent to the penitentiary because he was on Instagram Live threatening somebody with uh, a gun, you know. So these are the things that I show them. And sadly, a lot of them engage in this type of behavior themselves. So when they see this, it's a reflection of them, and then it starts to make more sense. You know, it when it comes from someone who's actually doing it, who's in, you know, in their world, then then the light bulb kind of goes off. Yeah. Um, and then after I show them, like I said, the the different facial recognition um, technologies and the reverse Google searches and how people are being catfished and having some of my other students basically give their testimonies about how they were in court and then the judge pulls up their Instagram photos, you know, sharing that with the other students so that it becomes more real because these are people that are actually, you know, in their, in their communities, like they're in here together. So they have a bond that, you know, I necessarily don't have with them. So having them actually share their experiences, their, you know, sadly negative experiences with social media uh, hits home a little bit more for them. Yes. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, so um, kind of like I mentioned before, like everyone can can benefit from this, but like say someone who doesn't have issues of posting guns, drugs, you know, maybe their issues are a little bit, um, well, I wouldn't say that, but um, maybe they have other issues like maybe bullying or, um, uh, feeling the need to post a perfect picture. Um, those are also things that I feel like this addresses as well, but we go a little bit deeper as far as the, the more problematic issues because what I really wanted to focus on is that this could have an effect on your life. Like, you could actually die from this, you know, or not only that, you could be locked up. Your freedom can be taken away. Like, your freedom should be of extreme importance to you, you know? Um, so, you know, students who don't have those more serious issues, they, they do benefit from this and they can share it like to people that they know, you know, they, they pick up information and take it back to people they know that are posting ridiculously online and share that. So usually I will say students like you, um, become more of, uh, like my, my, uh, allies and be able to spread the word because you get it. You understand that, you know, you see into the future a little bit more than someone who can't see past tomorrow. So you know you're going to college. It's just all about figuring out which one. So now we got to get, you know, this guy to figure out he could also go to college. But you can't be doing all that posting this online. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was a good question, too. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, I'm going to try to show you guys a couple videos just so you can get an idea of, um, the types of material that we share in the classroom. Thank y'all for being so alive and awake this morning because I'm barely making it myself. Okay, so since we kind of already touched on, I'm having issues here, hold on, fake news, I'm going to show you this video that gets really straight to the point, and um, it creates a lot of conversation with my students, because we talk about how, you know, maybe celebrities, or our big cousins, or a professor or a teacher may post something online, and those people, you know, have authority to us, so we believe everything that they post is true. But it really kind of goes into how you have to kind of critically think through these things because 
I don't think any other time in history have we been flooded with so much misinformation. Um, and sadly, it's coming from, you know, the person who's at the most elite position in our in our society. Like, he's promoting this. Let's He's like, let's confuse everybody. Let's just fool everybody's heads up with BS. And it's really having an effect on um, on all of us, really. So I'm going to show you this video. or maybe not sorry about that um so we got the little spinny wheel of death but if it comes on we'll we'll watch it um but yeah I, I try to use a lot of videos especially videos with mostly people of color and the reason that I do that is because I want them to see a reflection of themselves or their uncles or their cousins or somebody that they know and love and care about um not just someone who's looking down and preaching to them um because that's far too many times that's kind of how students feel is that people are are constantly talking at them and not really trying to figure out what their issues are and helping them kind of maneuver through them we'll give it one more go around if not it's all good any other questions while we wait for the video okay yeah I just did right now okay they want us can't hide behind technology they want us to disconnect okay yes Yes. So a lot of a lot of my students actually called me to help them. Um, oh, yeah. So I can speak on that, too. So a lot of my students called me. I, I always advise them to call me. So my position at the juvenile hall is really unique. So I work in youth services. So most of my job consists of um, helping students graduate high school if they've graduated high school to move on to post-secondary education, um, as well as I um, provide work experiences. So internships. So if anybody uh, wants to host an intern, I pay them. Um, they just chill with you for a few months. Let me know. We could uh, get a worksite agreement together. That was a shameless plug right there. Um, so, uh, yes, so a lot of my students, when they get home, I tell them, call me, and if you need help, either deleting some stuff or figuring out how to get your password, let me know. So typically what we have to do is, yeah, they forgot their Facebook password because mama and grandma on Facebook, so they definitely not logging on there, right? Um, so that's usually the main one is Facebook, logging on to Facebook, um, sending emails to Facebook, letting them know that we can't log in, we don't remember the passwords. Um, so far, Facebook has been, it's really easy with just um, um, verifying your identity, and that's kind of how they let you in there as well. Um, also, a lot of students, if they, you know, can't figure out um, where they posted this. They know they posted something crazy here, there, and everywhere. So we talk about, yeah, sometimes you always can't delete. So what do you do instead? Does anybody know what you do instead? If you can't delete it, then what do you do? Huh? You could block it. What else? Huh? Report it. Yep. So then Facebook could take it down for you. Report, report, report your own stuff, huh? That was a good one. Yeah, what, there's another one, too. You bury it. So you just post a post a lot of positive things so you could bury it so if it though if you um, engage more online um, then all those uh, problematic posts they move to the bottom and typically most people don't go page pa past page like two or three so if you could post enough positive things about yourself to cover page one or two then you good nobody looking that far we lazy so <laughs> so um, that's the other thing uh, usually if we can't get in to delete it then we'll just bury it 
Um, and typically, um, what are some positive posts? What are things we could post that are positive? Yeah, so people with your friends at different events like this, another shameless plug, huh? Quotes, yeah, nice quotes. Family pictures, pets, your accolades. That, that's what I don't see enough. I don't see people brag about themselves enough. Like, in my opinion, online, people are way too humble. It's like, no, I'm posting all the tight stuff I do. I don't care what nobody said. So that's another thing I, I really try to encourage. Post your accolades. Your grades went up from a C to an A. That's worth posting. Like, um, you've got, you got invited to, you know, a special dinner or a lunch. That's worth posting. Um, you won an award at school. Maybe you got citizenship award. Maybe you got perfect attendance. Like, all of that is worth posting. So why don't we post those things? Um, so that's why I really encourage students, like I said, to post enough to, to bury um, things that they don't want to be found. And um, it's becoming more and more easy um, once they realize that people want to see you doing good. You know, people will engage with your posts as well. You'll get just as many comments and you'll get just as many likes um, from, from posting positive things that are happening in your life. Like I know in America, we all gravitate to drama, including myself. I'm not gonna act like I, I don't. I'm a lurker. I'll log on and I'll lurk and see what the drama is for the day. Um, so, you know, b that's something that we, we draw to, but you know, we also wanna see the positive things. We also wanna see that as well. So. Those are the th that's what I encourage. All right, so we won't get a video today, which is okay. Okay. Oh, turn it off. Okay. Turn it back on. So if if anybody doesn't know, like the biggest kind of tech support joke in the world is when someone can't get something to work, the first thing they say is what? Did you turn it off and turn it on? Yes, okay. So if you ever have any issues with your technology, your phone, your computer, try turning it off and turning it on. That helps a lot sometimes. Okay, so let's go back here. Oh, here. Okay, it's not my friend today, but that's okay. All right, so that pretty much concludes um, the first portion. Does anybody else have any questions before we take a break? I also want to give you some housekeeping. Yes. Not necessarily because they're working with me. So, yes, so not necessarily. So far, anybody that I've worked with, because I'm, I am split into two different programs at my job, so I do work with people who are coming back to the community from juvenile hall onto probation, and then I have the ability to basically plug them with a paid internship. So typically, that three months in the college and career readiness class that I teach, as well as the five weeks in the digital literacy course, um, I really try to use that time to to polish up their skills and to get them to understand that you're gonna have to either take some stuff down, you know, delete your Instagram, you know, it, at least, you know, learn how to put it on private. We also go through different uh, lessons on, let's show you how to put your pages on private. And Facebook is a little more intricate because you, you there's so many different options for Facebook. You c your page could be private, but still allow somebody to share it and it be seen, so that's confusing. So really just, going through all that with them. So as of right now, no, I haven't had any issues with anybody getting a job, no. Yeah. Okay, so that concludes the first portion of today's convention. 
So next up, we are going to have Community Resilience, which is going to be facilitated by Monica Brooks. And we have um, our panel speakers here today. So, so the, um, the Community Resilience model is really about uh, creating resiliency in individuals and communities, kind of like I talked about. And it really focuses on our biological responses and really having people understand that it's not a mental weakness. So the normal ones that we see are um, kind of that freeze, uh, flight, fight, and there's another one called tend to befriend that a lot of people overlook. And usually when we see tend to befriend, um, we see women with people who either kidnapped them or raped them or domestic abuse, uh, but also men. Um, normally the narrative is, oh, only women tend to befriend, but that's not true. Um, men also are um, a part of that demographic as well. So in, uh, in CRIM, like I said, the main focus is that you understand that your nervous system is what is regulating uh, the sensations in your body and causing you to act towards whatever threat or trauma that you have. And uh, that is why you react the way you do. So it's actually your body's, uh, the way your body was designed. Um, so it is working properly. Uh, we just need to figure out how do we get in front of that so that we know our triggers um, and we know how to maneuver through those traumas. So if you open your program guide. We should, that's mine. <laughs> You'll see this chart. So it's on a, it's on a side pocket. It may be in the back. It looks like this. What is it called right now? Um, so it's called the resilient okay. zone. It's like a red, yeah, red little number here. Hmm? Oh yeah, oh she brought them right there. Um, okay, so just another quick overview for the people who just kind of trickled in. Um, so I'm a trauma-informed trainer. I went through a week-long training um, to focus on the community resilience model, which is a different perspective of trauma. We are, we are acknowledging that you have these issues, but we don't want to focus on what happened to you. We want to focus on how you're going to overcome these and, um, and what we as a community can do to support you to overcome these. And um, I mentioned that your responses are biological. So it's the way that your body is designed to work. But at, at the more that we learn, we can step in front of that um, so that we can try to have some type of control over ourselves as we work through our traumas. So the trauma resiliency model is completely centered around the resilient zone. So everybody should have one of these in your packet. And so this is just a very good visual to show how a normal person life goes. Like we go through a lot of ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Like no one can sit here in this room and tell you that it's been a steady, a steady uphill climb their whole life. That's just not the way that life works. And so when we understand that our life is constantly on a moving kind of wave or ebbs and flows or ups and downs, then we can try to basically brace ourselves when we, when we notice that we are having different issues or going through different traumas. So the importance of this training is that we try to get people to understand where their resilient zone is. Like you know what happens when you get, so when you get high is when we talk about how you get angry, you get frustrated, you might get violent, you're ready to fight, you're cussing people out, we've all been there. When you get low, so lower on the chart, um, that's when depression sets in. That's when sadness, you know, feeling overwhelmed, um, those different types of uh, feelings and sensations. So it's really about studying your body, knowing how you react to certain situations. How I react to something is gonna be 100% different than, what, than the way Donya reacts to a situation. So understanding where your zone is. Okay, like when you get to your limit, you know, a lot of people talk about flipping your lid. Like you wanna realize what's that, what's that point before you flip your lid and you just go off on everybody. So figuring out where those limits are and how to keep yourself in, in this, uh, what I like to call like your okay zone. As long as you stay in here, you'll be okay. 
So within this training, well, we focus, like I said, on widening your resilient zone. Um, I spoke a lot about the, the youth that I work with been through hell and back, some of them, a lot of different barriers. So how big do we think their resilient zone is? Very small. Very small and sometimes non-existent because there's nobody been, been around to basically push them um, to figure out them, their selves, their bodies, and how they react to different situations and different traumas. So, you know, as a community, I'm inviting everybody to, you know, work with people that you know to help widen that resilience zone. And in the community resilience training, we use a lot of invitational language and we uh, use a lot of uh, sensational language. So we don't really, really want to talk about how you feel, you know, like what your feelings are. We want to talk about um, as you'll see on the, this page, black and white, you'll have that on the back side of your packet as well. Um, we want to use sensory language. So what happens to your body when these issues or situations are happening? And so, like I said, this is just, this is just a teaser. And if you want to learn more about the community resilience model, we will have a full length training um, at the end of April in Oakland. And uh, it will be co-facilitated with, um, with shift.org. And it'll be on the Center for Urban Excellence website within the next two weeks. Okay, so we use invitational language and we use sensory language. So for example, like I hate um, Oakland traffic and parking. Like it, it knocks me out of my resilience zone regularly. And I've realized that. So using the sensory language, like what happens to me, you know? My leg starts twitching because I'm getting annoyed <laughs> from sitting in the car. You know, I'm not talking about how I feel. I'm not talking about that I feel mad because these people won't move out of my way. I'm noticing what happens to my body when I get angry. Like my leg starts switching. What else happens? My temperature, I start getting hot, you know? I start sweating. So um, this is the type of things that we'll talk about during that full length training on how to um, how to teach others how to use this sensory language. Because your mad is different from my mad. Your sad is different from my sad. But your tremble is not different from my tremble. If your leg is trembling and my, my leg is trembling, we are having that same sensation. Um, so we'll, we'll learn about more of the sensory language. Um, and like I said, it's all invitational. So everyone does not have to participate. They participate as much as they would like to. Um, and it's really a learning experience uh, for us to take back to our families, to take back to our communities, to help them to raise that resilience zone if it is very small or non-existent. Um, like I said, I've been lucky to have a lot of people around me who challenged me, so I feel like I do pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good at staying in my okay zone, but there are others around me who, who need support. And uh, because I am a, a certified teacher trainer, I can train you on how to give that support. Okay. So any questions about the, yes? So this is almost like teaching meditation because you're teaching yes. people to be present. Mindfulness, yep. yeah. mindfulness, uh -huh. off of that concept? Um, so it's actually, so I'm a certified trainer. Um, so I went to a week long training to be a community resilience model trainer. Um, and so I talked about like there's a perspective shift. So we know everybody has trauma and we know that something happened to you, but now we wanna, we wanna support everybody get out of that. So we want everyone to pull together and um, how can we get out of that situation? Um, so it is, this was provided to me by the, uh, the woman who created it. And she allowed, since I am trained and I paid my thousands of dollars, I get to use the material as well. Yeah. Yes. Have you ever thought about using some games? Yes, yes, you have inspired me with the games, but uh, hopefully next year, yeah, hopefully next year we'll, we'll have that a little more organized, yes. Thank you, yes. Just a comment, but like, this, uh, this actually works really well with small children. Uh -huh. um, yep. I've learned it from my child development classes. So yep, like, good. Instead of talking about how you feel, uh -huh. what's going on with you, yes. for the most part. Yes. And then something that we'll all start to realize, and why I'm extremely happy that, uh, Nina has invited us to be here, is that we're all children. 
Like we and I, we seen something yesterday. I mean, my mom was laughing about. It said adult children. Like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> so you know, we're all children. We're all still growing. We're all still learning. And I feel like once people just kind of accept that and acknowledge that, uh, then life will just be a, a lot easier, and we'll have a lot of a lot more empathy for people when they're going through different situations. Okay. Any other questions before we go to our lovely panel? Okay, so don't forget, if you're interested in a full-length training, we will have one at the end of April, and it will be up on Center for Urban Excellence site um, in a couple weeks here. Okay? All right. Monica? Yes. Okay. She goes up and around to the other side. <laughs> My name is Monica, and I am your facilitator. I'm your facilitator for the Brazilian.